A character in a Fast and Furious movie is never really dead. Like, never. They have a full funeral for someone. And then at the end of the movie, they're like, she's not dead. It's like, that was expensive. What is good? <laughs> Thank you so much for coming to the show. I'm very excited to be here in Luke's hometown, basically, <laughs> which will be very, very fun. I'm excited to cover uh, some interesting chapters here. You may have seen on social media that I posted we were gonna do chapter 17. Well, it's actually a bit of a surprise because we're gonna do the end of chapter 16 as well, which I thought, was gonna be fun. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, they'll fight a dragon. That'll be a fun way to start a show and then we'll do whatever happens in chapter 17. And then the end of chapter 16 happened. <laughs> so since there's a lot to discuss, let's get into that discussion now. We are in the future. If you're listening to this on the podcast, you'll know that this is happening, but here you don't know this right now, but we're having some guests on the show that are locals from Connecticut, and they are from the Hartford area, but specifically, what is it? Where's Luke from again? I forget. Westport, Westport thank you. I, I had the thing on the podcast that you hear on Monday where I was like, is it Westport? Is it Westport? Whatever. We've got some local folks. It is Phoebe and Emily from Monster Donut. Please make some noise for your guests for the show, the Monster Donut Crew! Oh, no, that's my bad. They told me before the show to warn people about hitting their head on the speaker. That's on me. Are you okay? I'm so sorry. Ugh. I apologize. Uh, also, could I, could I interest either of you in a liquid death, which is water that definitely looks like I'm drinking a Miller Lite on stage? <laughs> if, if either of you want one. How are you two doing? Good. I'm yeah. good. Yeah, <laughs> you're, oh, you're good I'm too. I'm wide awake. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very excited to have you on. Now, in the episode, since the first time you've been on the show has already come out, we'll talk about your history with Percy Jackson and all of that. So for the purposes of this episode, though, we'll ask the repeat guest question, which is, have you ever done a sorting quiz or one of the Reader Odin things? Well, who would your godly parents be? I have been questioning this my entire life. Um, <laughs> but for now, I say Hades. Oh, interesting. Um, I genuinely don't have a good answer for why. Okay. <laughs> Everyone tells me I have the vibe of a Hades yeah. kid. So. No, I've uh, okay. known Phoebe since middle school. Can't confirm. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. And then what about you? Mine, I again, I went back and forth for a while, but I settled on Aphrodite. Ooh, any reasoning behind this one or just vibes like yeah, Phoebe said? it's just like vibes. I don't know. I like aesthetic things. I'm also on the cusp of beauty, like for my astrological stuff. So it kind of just all checks out. Okay. I know nothing <laughs> about any of the astrological signs. It starts, I'm like, I'm Aquarius. Amethyst is my stone. I couldn't tell you anything else about what it means. <laughs> and then we just roll with it. <laughs> So that's very fun. Got a whole different cabin representation here. I've only taken the Reed Riordan quiz and I got Poseidon, but I feel like I should take like a more thorough one that instead of just like, is your favorite color blue? 
But we're going to get into the chapters that we are here to discuss. Now, where we last left off in chapter 16, where we left our heroes, they were about to fight the giant Draken, and Rachel Elizabeth there said, oh, I'll see you guys later. <laughs> so let's pick it up. Now, narrator Percy says to start this section, love it. Quote, let me explain. There are dragons and then there are drakens with draken in italics. Mm -hmm. And he details that dragons are several millennia older and they are much larger than regular dragons. And at this point, I was wondering, hold on, I've heard about large old dragons in the Demigod Files. Why don't we send in our big bionic bronze dragon friend to fight this other <laughs> dragon? And then I was wondering because my wife Kelly has told me that one of the Demigod file stories is relevant. And when I was reading those, I was like, oh, I figure it's probably the sort of Hades because that was like a lot longer and more intense and nothing's really come up yet. But I was like, there's no, no way that that is going to be the more relevant story. Like, is this dragon going to come and help them? And still, as far as I've read, I don't know yet. So at this point, I was wondering, like, because the whole time I was just convinced, like, it's got to be the story of Hades. It's going to be it. And now it's like, what if our bronze dragon friend comes back? You never know. Hmm. Mm. Indeed, the trapdoor is intact. <laughs> so the dragons look like giant serpents. They usually don't have wings. They usually don't breathe fire. All of them are poisonous. All of them are strong. And all of them have scales harder than titanium. So quite formidable foes. Their eyes also can paralyze you, not necessarily in the turn to stone sense, but in the make you so scared that you just freeze up and don't fight them sense. So still pretty terrifying to deal with. Mm -hmm. Narrator Percy says that even their dragon fighting classes that they take at Camp Half-Blood cannot prepare someone for the real deal, AKA, as he describes it, a 200 foot long serpent as thick as a school bus slithering down the side of a building, its yellow eyes like searchlights and its mouth full of razor sharp teeth, big enough to chew elephants. That would be big yikes. I don't want to yeah. mess with that. I wonder how they practice that. Yes. Do they just like have right. like spotlights and then like someone, you know, you've got a couple people in a costume and they just kind of like <laughs> Spider-Man it down. I like it. I like the idea. Yeah, you got to get like Argus has the spotlights. He's pointing them at people. <laughs> Stupid job. <laughs> now, Percy, after describing the dragon, says it almost made me long for the flying pig, which he fought recently. And I don't know why almost a flying pig sounds way less scary than a giant dragon <laughs> slithering down a building. I don't understand why he, this was an almost for him. I mean, slaying a dragon's kind of like a proto-hero thing, though. You know, it's, yeah. it's something to write home about. You're like, right. oh, I slayed a flying pig. Okay. Oh, uh, so you're saying he wants to rise to the challenge. Because <laughs> yeah. if he defeats the flying pig, it's like, okay, fine, you defeat it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And actually, this dragon description specifically is like the most ancient, like, for those, since you probably have not listened or known me, my background's in like classics and linguistics and stuff. But yeah, if I timed of, this yeah. live show a little better, <laughs> if this was happening three days later, they'd know this. Um, but yeah, so this particular dragon is like the like Proto-Indo-European, which is like the super ancient, like pre-Greek, pre-Roman, all of that stuff civilization. Like this is kind of it. And you kind of see a glimpse of it when Apollo fights Python in the mythology. Like that's kind of like this story. And it's like a very, very old myth. Okay. All right. I'm excited to see how that all goes. Mm -hmm. Now, narrator Percy states that the enemy army is marching down Fifth Avenue and they're doing so with ease because the campers cleared out all of the mortals from the streets to try to keep them safe. But unfortunately, that makes the path for the army going through a lot easier to navigate. The party ponies who joined our squad recently look nervous, so Chiron tries to rally them all together. And Percy says, I'll take the dragon." But then as narrator Percy lets us know that it came out as a squeak, so we're like, I'll take the dragon." <laughs> And then he has to yell it a second time in all caps, or it goes, I'll take the dragon. <laughs> <laughs> 
and you fight everybody else. And I just love that puberty has found its way into the Percy Jackson books. Like, I think that's really nice that awkward teenage boy things find their way into a book about an awkward teenage boy. Mm, yeah. yeah. We've all been there, or at least I was there with my voice changing, where I like yeah. tried to sound cool and then and it's just awkward stuff. Yeah, so what kind of dragon did you fight? Uh, it wasn't a dragon. I guess I fought the dragon of the first high school dance that I went to with mm. grinding dancing. Right. <laughs> I went to a very strict K through eight school. When we had school dances, literally on the slips you'd bring home to your parents, it would say, save room for the Holy Spirit mm. underneath them. No joke. So that was like not a thing. And then I went to a high school dance and everyone was grinding. I was like, oh no, I don't know what to do. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to be rude, but like, this is what I'm supposed to do. It didn't, it, the first time it went bad. She left halfway through the song. It was bad. It was, that was my dragon moment. I got my ass whooped. Hmm. But then I got better. Now, Annabeth stands beside Percy with her helmet pulled low, but Percy can tell that her eyes are red. And I'm just wondering from like a euphemism perspective, does that mean like she was crying? Does it mean she was angry? Does it mean she was tired? Is it any of them? I assume that she was crying. Okay. And I guess Percy would think that too, because he very soon after this feels bad because Rachel is, but there just came and that would make her upset. So do we think Annabeth was so upset about Rachel showing up that she was crying? That felt to me like a bit of a, an overreaction. Like she seemed more angry, not like tears in my eyes. That's true. (laughs) I do think that Annabeth though is kind of the type that she cries a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. In, in a lot of the early books, especially in uh-huh. Battle of the Labyrinth, I noticed, mm-hmm. she does cry a lot. Um, mm-hmm. So representation for that crowd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Cry easily. <laughs> I see it as representation for me where the only time I cry is when I'm super angry. Yeah, I definitely, I feel like I've gotten the thing where I'm like trying to fight back tears if I got angry, at least when I was younger. And that was always an embarrassing thing of like, well, I don't want to seem like I'm crying kind of thing. So, okay, I could see that as well. Now, Annabeth has this going on, trying to hide it. Percy can tell. He asks Annabeth for help, and then she agrees to help him, saying that helping out her friends is a thing that she does. It's who she is. But she says it in a dejected voice to let you know that she's still upset about the situation. And that's when Percy feels awful. He didn't mean for Rachel Elizabeth there to show up. And he wants to explain all of this to Annabeth, but he knows that there's no time, which is the classic situation. Like, I feel like there should be a tally marker for how many times this happens, or it was like something awkward was happening between me and Annabeth. And I wanted to talk to her about it, but something was actively trying to kill me, so I was going to talk to her about it later. Like, that happens so many times, so many times. It's tough. So he's feeling bad about this. No time to explain. He instructs Annabeth, though, to go invisible and to look for weak links in the armor of the dragon while he keeps it busy and distracted. And he asks her before she leaves to be careful. Percy then calls over Mrs. O'Leary, and she arrives, gives Percy a very suspiciously smelling like pizza dog licking, so he can tell she's been chowing down on some cards. And they together charge the draken just as the enemy begins to attack the line of party ponies. The draken then very quickly, at least in terms of reading, it was just like, yeah, the draken then swallows up three party ponies. It's like, oh my God, three centaurs are just gone. It's so abrupt. It's really intense. So swallows up three party ponies. Before Percy can even get there, Mrs. O'Leary leaps at the draken, which is normally very terrifying, but because this thing is so big, even her being a giant dog attacking it just looks very puny by comparison. And her claw attacks and her biting don't really do anything because of those really hard scales, 
but she is big enough where her weight knocks it off of the side of the building and then it falls onto the sidewalk and it's trying to bite Mrs. O'Leary, but she's close enough to its mouth where it's not really getting to it and then it's like spewing out poison and stuff like that. And then some of the poison gets the centaurs. So it's just like <laughs> the centaurs are taking it left and right. And I guess we're like, they're horses that we didn't meet yet. So <laughs> we don't like them, really so. Right. It's not like when we were all mourning yeah. the loss of Lee Fletcher and we were all... <laughs> dejected for weeks on end. I still haven't gotten over it, honestly. Yeah, just, it's a real tough one. That yeah. uh, He was mentioned four times in that book. Four times. I know. I know. And one was his death, and then one was probably after his death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I should credit it with, like, how many times was alive Lee Fletcher mentioned? I didn't even factor that. Good call. So... <laughs> Some party ponies have been dissolved with poison, and some monsters have also been as well. So the draken is just being a little reckless. Now, Percy finally is able to reach the draken. He stabs it in the eye. It tries to attack Percy in retaliation, but he's able to dodge it. Mrs. O'Leary jumps on the draken's head to try and distract it. And then narrator Percy, while this is going on, says that the other battle is not going super well. You have panicking centaurs, for good reason. Yeah. You have overmatched campers, you have waves of arrows, and in general, the fight is just getting closer and closer to the Empire State Building, so they're not necessarily holding up the fort super well. Annabeth then appears on the dragon's back as her hat falls off, and she sticks her knife between a gap in the serpent's scales. The dragon roars and bucks Annabeth off. Percy pulls her away to safety. She thanks him for doing so, and he reminds her that he told her to be careful, which is fantastic. <laughs> and then she goes, yeah, well, duck, and then saves him from an attack, so now they're even. <laughs> the demigods have now retreated to the door of the Empire State Building. They are surrounded by enemies. Percy knows that no reinforcements are coming, so he and Annabeth have to retreat now, otherwise they might not be able to get into Olympus. And... Oh, lo and behold, the reverse jinx is in because as Percy says this as the narrator, then he hears a chariot rumble and a girl's voice yell, Ares. And I wrote in my notes, Clarice, well done, Selena. Clarice, I'm still mad at you. We'll see what's going on yeah. in this situation. But I was happy at this point. I mean, well done, Selena. Well done, Selena, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll give you compliments now. I'm so, I'm so angry. <laughs> Can't believe, oh, God. So a dozen chariots enter the fray. Each is pulled by skeletal horses with manes made out of flames. There are now 30 new campers on the team, which is awesome. We've got a good roster going. Annabeth is amazed and wonders how Rachel Elizabeth Dare could have predicted that this happened. And I'm really excited that she was amazed. Like, she didn't say this angrily. She didn't say this with a tone. We have the situation of, is Annabeth going to come around on Rachel Elizabeth Dare? Like, that would make me so happy if they didn't hate each other because they're both so cool individually. It's like when you have a party and you have friends from different walks of life and the whole time you're just like, I really hope they like each other by the end of the party. I just, I just want my friends to all get along. And that's happened for me because I have friends from strange walks of life, you know, podcast friends. And the, even, even just like just production of this show, people I've only met from doing the podcast. My buddy Chris is doing the second act is my friend from tennis camp in New Jersey, and then my buddy Umberto, who I did high school and college with, is running the merch table. Like, that alone, it's like, yeah, you know, the way you make friends. So, yeah. I just want the two of them to be friends. Oh, it would be so good. Now, half the chariots go for the enemy army. Clarice and then the remaining half go for the dragon. Clarice, in quotes. <laughs> uh, 
The serpent launches Mrs. O'Leary off of it and into a building. Percy rushes to tend to her to make sure that she's okay. The draken then paralyzes two of the chariot drivers, so we just have four that are fighting. The draken yells, and the Ares campers all hurl their javelins inside their mouth, which is nice, mm. causing it to scream, Ease, which Percy guesses is dragon for ow. <laughs> now at the battle, the new wave of help gives the ponies hope, and they resume fighting. The draken fight starts to go a little bit better, but then it does kill some campers who weren't named, so we're not sad about them. <laughs> And then Annabeth tells Percy that they need to help them out. So Mrs. O'Leary wants to join the fight, but she cries out in pain when she tries to walk because one of her paws is hurt and hurts so bad that it's actively bleeding. Percy tells her to hold back, that she's done enough already. So Percy and Annabeth jump on the monster's back and try to distract it. Percy encourages Clarice, in quotes, saying that its destiny <laughs> is to be killed by an Aries kid. Percy then notices something wrong with Clarice. Her blue eyes shone mm -hmm. with fear. And he finds it odd because she never looks scared. And then he finds it super odd because she doesn't have blue eyes. And uh, what's Mike from the past's uh, reaction here? He, in all caps, wrote, wait, earlier he said that her voice sounded more shrill, but he pushed that aside because he thought she was just fighting, so she sounded more shrill. And I didn't even write notes. I was like, all right, this is weird flavor text, Percy. I'm not going to waste my finger energy typing this. And then I continued to write my notes. That's not Clarice. That has to be Selena. And then I wrote, oh, no, please do not let me be right. Because while I was editing episode 88, I think it's when Nico comes around, either 87, 88, something in that range. Nico comes back and says to Percy that he just spoke with Beckendorf. Mm. And Beckendorf says, oh, I'm waiting for someone in Elysium. That's, yeah. So he says, I'm waiting for someone in Elysium. And while I didn't say this in the recording, but in the editing, I was like, oh man, he might be waiting for a long time. And I was like, or not long at all. <laughs> Selena's gonna die before the end of the book. And then when this was all happening, I was like, oh, I would be sad about Selena dying. Oh, well now we'll just have to, yeah. now we'll just have to see. It's, gosh. <laughs> we'll get to that part. I feel like this is a lot of like me recapping a battle yeah. and then it'll be the three well, of us having feelings for <laughs> 15 consecutive minutes. I have a question for you sure. actually. At this point, are you are there any like spidey senses on mythology tingling? Not on mythology cuz I am not well versed enough cuz none of this came up in Hades the video game, but <laughs> <laughs> I only in the realm of this had thought I finally dropped thinking Juniper was the spy and thought <laughs> Maybe it was one of the stoles just because mm -hmm. earlier they had said something about wondering about a spy and I was wondering, oh, it could be Connor in like a Doth protest too much situation. And then Travis had like a couple of sketchy things. So I was like, it could be one of them. But no, is there a mythology thing that happens yeah. to deal with all of this? Yeah, so this scene and then the following scene is kind of a mashup of a few very iconic scenes from the Iliad. Yeah. So Bless you. <laughs> is it anything particular? Or is it just like people fighting dragons um, or? So it's the scenes where, uh, actually there's a few other Iliad parallel scenes in this book, okay. but they're a little subtle. So um, at the beginning when they're in the war council, that's the first one actually. When oh, it's okay. the fight between the Ares cabin and the Apollo cabin, the Iliad actually begins with the fight between Achilles, who's like kind of the main character of the Iliad. I'm putting that in quotes, there's a lot of characters. Mm -hmm. And with uh, Agamemnon, who is like the leader of the Greeks because Agamemnon was trying to take some of Achilles' loop that he won in the war. Uh -huh. And Achilles refuses to fight for the rest of the war to make everybody miss him and want him to come back and give him back his honor, his <sighs> glory. Because in like ancient Greek times, like loot and glory were like kind of the same thing. And it was like, there's not enough to go around basically. It's a uh, something resource. Doesn't matter, but um, <laughs> yeah. 
So that's sort of how the Iliad begins. Okay. This scene is kind of the beginning of the end of the Iliad, so we're kind of going forward a little bit, yeah, where right. um, Achilles finally rejoins the fight. Oh, uh, uh, now it all makes sense. Because, okay. And this is where I say, Rick, you know what you did. <laughs> because his lover, Patroclus, puts on a guy. Oh. Just to be clear. Oh. Puts on his armor and leads his men into the fight. Oh. So I'm just saying, Rick, <laughs> You know what you did. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, this Clarice character yells Ares and charges the dragon. Percy tries to stop her, but the dragon hits her clear in the face with a bunch of poison, causing her to scream and fall. Annabeth goes to help. The Ares campers go around and defend her. Percy stabs the dragon between some scales to try and distract it, and after fending it off for a bit, Percy sees another chariot, and I wrote, okay, there's Clarice, with a girl who gets out and runs up saying, no, curse you, why? Percy doesn't know what's going on because he's very dense here, and he's like, wait a second, that's Clarice on the ground, but then also, there's Clarice out of the chariot. How are there two Clarices? It's like, Percy, there's like one character whose eye color we've talked about, and it's Selena. So he doesn't know what's happening. The real Clarice gets up to this fallen Clarice in quotes and repeatedly asks why Chris Rodriguez, who's in Clarice's chariot, which also could have been a pretty big hint to Percy of who's <laughs> showing up right now. He approaches and then tells everyone to watch out as the dragon turns its attention towards them. Clarice looks at the serpent with pure anger, matching Ares's face when Percy fought him one-on-one -on -one in book one. And Clarice yells, you want death? Well, come on, which is pretty good. I'm still <laughs> mad at her though. She grabs Selena's spear and charges the beast despite having no armor or shield or anything. Percy tries to join, but Clarice gets there faster. She leaps atop the monster's head, drives the electric spear into the dragon's good eye, and then releases all of the magic power of the weapon into the dragon. Electricity surrounds this monster's head, and soon it dissolves away because it's been defeated. Everyone is stunned. Clarice is unaffected and runs back to the fallen soldier. Annabeth removes the helmet, and it's clear that this camper is looking like they're in rough condition. And it's also clear what Rachel meant earlier when she said, quote, something is about to happen, a trick that ends in death, because underneath the armor is Selena Beauregard. And I wrote, no, but let's read chapter 17 now. <laughs> because I might have said, oh no. <laughs> so chapter 17 is called, I sit on the hot seat. And in chapter 17, it starts with Clarice cradling Selena's head in her lap and asks what she was thinking. At that point in time, I thought Selena was dead. So I thought this was like super dark and terrifying. Was mm. I off base there? Did you guys think that's what was going on when you first read it? Or did you think she was like in the process of fading? I think the last line of chapter 16 is he's looking at the dying face. Uh, yeah. So I, yeah. Okay, you did that. Okay, right, right. My role in reading books is like, you know, you got it. It's got to be so clear. You've got to spell it out like five times and I'll maybe believe you. Sure. That they're dead. I feel like I'm going to get that way now because I have been watching the Fast and the Furious movies in preparation <laughs> for an upcoming podcast project. And in those movies, it's now, I get the thing, and this is because I didn't read a lot of YA books as a kid, but there was a whole thing of when, you know, when Thalia's going around, people are like, oh, you know, a character in a YA novel is really dead. A character in a Fast and Furious movie is never really dead. Like, never, unless, even, there's someone, they have a full funeral for someone, and then at the end of the movie, they're like, she's not dead. It's like, that was expensive. <laughs> they went through so many things. There was a headstone, there was a coffin, there was a ceremony, like, and you're telling me she's not dead? 
Oh my god! Like I'd be I mean, so mad. Didn't that happen with Percy in Battle of the Labyrinth? Oh yeah. For oh right yeah I guess they had the whole party yeah yeah, yeah. they <laughs> yeah, were they, I guess the they put in on a whole, a whole shindig yeah right yeah and he just walked right in. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they kept the receipt for uh, the headstone that they got in Fast and Furious. Anyway, so Clarice is cradling Selena's dying head. And then Selena musters up enough energy to say, wouldn't listen, cabin would only follow you. And I wrote in my notes, how the hell did no one notice that Selena was Clarice? Like, they, they don't look similar. They don't sound similar. And also, I remember very early on, just because her last name is Beauregard, I was thinking, wouldn't it be funny if Selena had a French accent? So I would just love if it was like, Aries! <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like a really thick, like, uh, it'd be terrible. But what was very funny about me writing this is the next line, Clarice goes, no one noticed? <laughs> like, it's not just a random person. It's another person who's like a high-profile figure at camp is pretending to be the person that they interact with the most and no one picked up on it. It's very shocking to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and narrator Percy about this says, quote, the Ares campers developed a sudden interest in their combat boots, which is a great, <laughs> great way to say that they were all looking down real awkwardly at their shoes. <laughs> Selena tells her not to blame them because they wanted to believe she was her. So I feel like that kind of makes sense as trying to will it into happening, but whatever. Clarice is sobbing and asks why she would charge the dragon. And Selena makes it clear that she feels a lot of guilt about Beckendorf's death and the dragon and the camp being in danger. And I was thinking, I don't know, that's not her fault. And then, <laughs> I know, look, I read it too. I know. I thought, that's not your fault. And then Clarice goes, basically, no, come on, that's not your fault. But then, and from here on out, all my notes are in all caps. <laughs> but then, Selena Beauregard opens her palm, and inside her hand is the Silver Scythe Charm bracelet. And then I wrote, you have to be kidding me. No way. But didn't Kronos still know stuff from after she left? Oh, I think they only knew that there were no Aries people, which could be confirmed while she was at camp. I was so mad. I was so mad. <laughs> and then narrator Percy says, a cold fist closed around my heart, which felt very accurate for how I felt. I was reading this earlier today in prep for the show. <laughs> and I was in a place where I grabbed lunch and a remix of that song, Bang Bang, was playing. <laughs> and it felt like incredibly on brand to hear this like very sad, somber like, Bang, bang, my lover shot me down. As I was like, we trusted you! I was so dejected. When you two read it for the first time, did you see this coming? Did you suspect Selena? Did you suspect someone else? Where were you at when this happened? I'm terrible at guessing at anything. So I'm just like along for the ride whenever I'm reading anything like this. So okay. I was just sitting there like, who could it be? Like after it's completely obvious. Like. I think I forgot initially because he's very good at like letting you forget there's a spy. Like we don't talk about it for a yeah. while. Right. But um, then every like couple of chapters, yeah. they'll wonder because Kronos knows something. But yeah, you're right. It's not yeah. necessarily on top of the brain. I will say rereading it again because I realized that I'd only ever read The Last Olympian one time before we reread it for our podcast. Okay. <laughs> which is when it came out. Oh, and I wow. did not remember it. Okay, okay. Um, and so I like completely forgot about this part. So I'm like picking up on all the Iliad stuff going in. I'm like, oh yeah, interesting, cool. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. Because <laughs> as I mentioned, Rick knows what he did. Yeah. So I'm sitting here while Clarice is cradling Selena's head and I'm just thinking, there is no heterosexual explanation for this. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
I will say your juniper theory was very good. You okay? I, like, <laughs> it was. It in was. In terms of like you thought it might be legit or just like, haha, what an idiot. It, no, it no, could no. have been. I fully believed it, even though I've read it. I was okay. like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just it was very abrupt. Why does Grover have a girlfriend that we're supposed to care about all of a sudden? It just fell. No, it's good. It's good. Yeah, I don't know. I just uh, I didn't see this coming at all. I'll have to if I ever do reread them. I'll have to see if there are any like things sprinkled or hints, but. It felt like it was pretty locked tight. I guess the only thing that now makes more sense is like when she is really sad after the Beckendorf death, mm-hmm. it's not just because mm-hmm. Beckendorf died and that was her boyfriend. It's because, oh, I'm the reason for this happening and he's my boyfriend, which makes it really tough. She explains that before she liked Beckendorf, Luke was nice to her and charming and handsome. You know, reasons to be evil. (laughs) A cute boy was nice to you. She wanted to stop helping him at some point, but then he threatened to rat her out. Mm -hmm. And then he also promised that she was actually saving lives by giving them information, saying that fewer people would get hurt if she gave information, and he promised not to hurt Beckendorf. So I kind of get this from like an in-too-deep situation. I give her more credit than I would give Luke with the Kronos thing, because Luke was dealing with the Lord of the Titans, and she was dealing with someone who at once was her friend and, you know, had at least conflicting, the gods aren't as good as you think they are kind of things going on, blah, blah, blah. Also, to be unbelievably generous to Luke, he didn't hurt Beckendorf. Beckendorf technically hurt himself, but <laughs> not really. Like, it's not like, you know, it's like he didn't go out of his way to hurt him, but like still. I mean, he might have, you know. Yeah, yeah, he still might have done it. You don't know. Percy looks at Annabeth and she looks, quote, like someone had yanked the world out from under her feet. Mm. And at this point, I just wrote, again, in all caps, this twist is good because I am so angry at the fictional character of Selena Beauregard and not Uncle Rick at all. Because it didn't mm. feel like a crappy twist or a, it was believable enough, but it wasn't just like completely out of left field, but he did hide it really well. And I don't feel like it was cheating in any sort of way. No one got resurrected from the dead or whatever. Like it's someone that believably was the spy and I think it's good. Yeah. Like you mentioned, there are hints throughout the book. Like the one that's first coming to mind is in the scene that you mentioned where I think there's a line where someone mentions that there's a spy at camp or Percy mentions there's a spy at camp and Selena immediately breaks down crying. Oh, or is that one? At one point she spills mm. the hot chocolate. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know if that's when it, but okay. it's It's somewhere in there. There's, there there's in some there. sort of outburst, <laughs> yeah. emotional or physical, yeah. when the spy is brought up. Oh, yeah. that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like it's the kind of things where I won't give an example because I would spoil literally anything if I said that, but it's like the type of media where there's a really good twist at the end mm. and it's something where like you didn't see it, but then when you rewatch it, it's like, oh, of course, but also it's so subtle that like, there's no way you would know. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you've seen something, you know what I'm talking <laughs> about. I want to say things, but like yeah. that would just be me mm. being a jerk. Now, <laughs> Selena asks for forgiveness. Clarice tells her that she won't die. Selena starts to say, Charlie, see Charlie, and then that's it. And I wrote, again in all caps, uh, you're not going to Elysium, girl. (laughs) Enjoy the fields of Asphodel. (laughs) And then after that, I wrote, oh no, my goodness, I feel awful for Beckendorf. On many, many fronts. Because at this point is when it dawned on me, oh, first off, if he's waiting for Selena, that's not happening, because like she's not getting in. But then also the next level, and I was texting frantically Kelly about this, and she was like, I feel the worst for Beckendorf because she is the reason for it. So like Beckendorf did this whole sacrifice thing, but like really he was undone, not only by his girlfriend, but he was undone by his girlfriend who was also the spy and didn't tell him like, 
The real loser in all of this is Beckendorf. Uh, it's just so crushing. Mm -hmm. It makes his passing even more sad than it already was. And now mm -hmm. I kind of get, like when I was doing the chapters, it was live shows when Beckendorf passes and people were like really sad. And like inside I was like, yeah, Beckendorf was cool, but like, <laughs> it wasn't, you know, like I was still sad, but it, people were like crushed over it. Now I get it. Like I get, <laughs> I get being crushed about it. So Clarice holds Selena and weeps. Chris Rodriguez consoles her. Annabeth closes Selena's eyes and says that they have to fight and doing so would honor Selena since she gave her life to help them. Mm. Clarice says that she must be regarded as a hero. Percy nods and tells Clarice to come along. She grabs a sword from a fallen Ares camper and says Kronos is going to pay. And mm. at this point, I was writing my notes that I feel like Selena's in too deep makes more sense than Luke's in too deep. Mm. But I'm just really mad that she didn't tell Percy earlier. I feel like I can understand that I don't want to get ratted out thing. But there's a certain point most specifically, I'm thinking like when they're in the Plaza Hotel and she decides to leave to try to like start her redemption arc by saving Clarice, like why not at that point tell Percy, hey, this sucks, but you know, if, if you've made up your mind to try to like start doing some good, why not tell Percy that you're the spy and all that kind of stuff? Like, I don't get why you would hold on to that information. Well, I think you mentioned it's kind of implied she stopped giving them information at a certain point. And I wonder if part of it is like, she's like, it's fine. No one ever will have to know. I'll just yeah. go and make up for it by doing something really good. I don't know if that's totally true because mm. I feel like, I mean, she told them that at least that the Aries cabin wasn't going to be there, mm. right. which is pretty late. But I can see being afraid of what will happen to you if you stop telling them information or mm. tell someone that it's you or, you know. Yeah. But that's the kind of thing where I don't think that's a good enough reason to, you know, put your friend's lives in danger. Like, and I also get it when things are lower stakes earlier on. But when it's at this point where it's like, hey, it's just the 40 of us versus the Titans and winner takes humanity. At that point, you kind of have to be like, oh, people are going to hate me, but I see the big picture. But yeah, I think you're mm -hmm. right. I don't think she ever stopped giving the information. I don't know how the bracelet works, but I thought it was just kind of like they could kind of hear what's going on kind of thing, like a listening device. And... If she had it with her then, she had it with her when she went to get Clarice. And mm -hmm. just by being at camp and knowing all the Ares campers are there and people saying that they haven't gone yet, that information is still being relayed to Kronos. So when Kronos in the mm -hmm. dream says, oh, they can't beat the dragon, I think it's because with Selena being there, he knows. So I don't think she ever stopped giving the information. Mm. Bless you. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So I don't know. I have not a lot of sympathy. I feel like mm. best case scenario, it's like net neutral. But when they're going on and on about her being regarded as a hero, no, absolutely <laughs> not. I understand self-preservation. I'm a Selena supporter, I guess. Mm. But I, <laughs> I feel like I would understand this more coming from her if the reasoning was more, you know, like sort of like the Aries cabin reasoning where it's like the Aphrodite cabin doesn't get any kind of respect okay and that like that's the reason for not protecting camp Half-Blood and going over to sure. the other side but the fact that it's just like luke was nice to me is not right <laughs> yeah I, I agree like when you look at the two things of like luke was nice to me which is how i got in and then he was gonna rat on me so i didn't want to say anything especially for someone who's what 16 years old like i totally get i don't want people to know that i was the rat but yeah the getting into it being like the cute boy talked to me like i guess if we're saying that he's from Hermes' cabin and he's really charming and silver-tongued and all that, like, I get that. And I like that what this kind of does is it makes Annabeth mm. finally realize the evil of Luke and how harmful mm. he can be. But yeah, I don't know, I just, it's one of those, I'm, I obviously don't hate her as much as Luke, but. Yeah. 
I, I think mean, it's a little overboard to be like, she's a hero. Like, okay, fine, she fought the dragon. <laughs> I mean, I think it also speaks a little bit to like what Luke is saying does resonate with a lot of half-bloods. Mm-hmm. So it kind of shows like another side of it where like sure. not everybody at Camp Half-Blood loves their godly parent. Yeah. Because they're godly parents. I mean, what do, what do they do for them? Make them angry. Yeah. <laughs> not pay attention <laughs> to them enough. Yeah, so it, it's complicated, but I don't know. At least in the immediate and maybe I'll feel differently when I'm not like a couple hours off of reading it. I'm still just very angry at her. (laughs) Narrator Percy says, cool, I'd like to say I drove the enemy away from the Empire State Building. The truth was Clarice did all the work. So she's an absolute force, even (laughs) without armor and a spear. And part of me, I don't know, maybe it was like disrespectful to Selena, but like, why didn't she just put on her own armor? Like it is her armor. Like, I guess you don't want to deal with it, but like, Maybe I mean, the cynic in me was like, your stuff's right there. Just. She killed the dragon with nothing, so I feel like, you know. She didn't need it. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it, like, kind of melted, though? Oh, oh, okay, I guess It would so. probably look really cool. <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah, distressed armor. The Clarice oh, yeah. collection, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like the, uh, is there, like, a D&D item that's just, like, a flaming breastplate? Ooh. Have the, like, acid flaming breastplate. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, come on, get the vibes, Clarice. Yeah. So she just rams a chariot through the enemy army, wrecks everything in her path, the ponies are inspired by her efforts. The ponies, a fickle bunch. Like, they really need <laughs> constant motivation to fight and such. The hunters scrounge up arrows from the fallen and start firing away. The Ares campers keep the pressure up, which pushes the enemy back to 35th Street. And then Clarice hooks up the Draken carcass mm-hmm. to her chariot and drags it around town. She begins to glow a red aura, which Thalia, who is here again. This is the <laughs> second time in two chapters where they never said that Thalia left, but also just like pages and pages go by and she hasn't said anything. And they even mentioned that she's there. And then Thalia's like, yeah, guys, we should do this. <laughs> ah, ah. <laughs> ah, okay, hi, Thalia. Good to see you. I mean, the hunters she just up, appear. That's what they do. Yeah, I guess. I mean, but aren't, they're wearing like silver jackets, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I get. You know, they're they're sneaky. They hide. Maybe it's the case. I can see it. But still, it just she keeps sneaking up on me. <laughs> she identifies this red aura as the blessing of Ares, and she mm-hmm. says it's the first time she's ever seen it in person. Mm-hmm. And Clarice, from this blessing, is basically is as invincible as Percy is, as every spear and arrow fired her way from the enemy just misses her. And she, distantly, you hear. She proclaims herself as Clarice Drakenslayer and promises to kill them all and asks, where's Kronos? Quote, bring him out. Is he a coward? And I love this vibe from Clarice, but I'm still so mad at the whole cherry thing because it's such a silly reason to not join the fight. And she had such great character growth and maturity growth, and then it just fell off a cliff. I'm upset. Percy tells Clarice to stop it and to withdraw. She beckons again for Kronos to bring it on and rides around town, pushing back the enemy. And that gives the demigods enough time to tend to the wounded. Well, this is another like Iliad parallel part. Okay. So after um, Patroclus, Achilles' lover, is killed by Hector, not a dragon, unfortunately. <laughs> um, Hector is like the Trojan prince. Okay. Um, and he thinks he's killed Achilles, the, best, the best Greek fighter, and realizes he hasn't. And they have a really cool exchange in the Iliad where Patroclus is like, ooh, <laughs> he's coming for you. <laughs> um, and Hector's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like a whole, it, it's great. It's really fun. The Iliad's great. I don't know if anyone's heard of it. Or to, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> you yeah, yeah, you have. Great, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but then um, after, Achilles goes out and challenges Hector, and they have a cool fight. I think the scene in Troy is pretty good. It is good. Um, mm-hmm. when, they, when they duke it out, and then after he kills Hector, he yokes up his legs and 
goes around the walls three times. And it's just oh, supposed to be a sign of complete disrespect for yeah. the body. And a lot of the Iliad is like Achilles' journey from having this like anger. Like the first word of the Iliad is meinis, which is divine wrath. Ooh. And it's like the divine, not just like anger, but like divine wrath of Achilles. And that's like kind of the story of it. So this to me, like as a classic person, I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Go Clarice, be Achilles. It's really about like putting aside all of these thoughts. Like the Iliad's really about like personal glory and like an exploration of that. So sure. I feel like in this book with these parallels, like I, it works really well for me. Is okay. what I'm saying. I um, like it. I just liked it as like an action movie type thing of like, yeah, drag the dragon around town, <laughs> scream stuff. <laughs> so the demigods are attending to the wounded. Chris Rodriguez promises to get Clarice to come inside eventually when she tires herself out, which is great. I'm really liking Chris Rodriguez. <laughs> Percy asks if anyone is back at camp, and Chris Arriga says, only Argus, the nature spirits, and Peleus, the dragon. Percy does not think that is enough to put up a real defense, but he's glad that Chris Rodriguez and the Ares campers have shown up. Chris Rodriguez is sad, apologizing for taking so long. He tried to reason with Clarice, telling her that defending camp means nothing if all the demigods die. And Thalia says that she and the hunters will stay and defend, telling Percy and Annabeth to go to Olympus to try and start setting up the final defense. So they enter, and they see that the doorman has left his post, leaving his copy of New Moon behind. And (laughs) the stoles now confirmed, in my case, innocent, so Mm. I don't have to worry about them anymore. They arrive, and they ask if it's true about Selena. And Percy said she died a hero, which, one, I think is a stress. And two, when they asked if it was true about (laughs) Selena, I was like, I think they might have been asking if she was the spy. But then Travis then kind of shifts around nervously and begins to say, um, I also heard. And then Percy goes, that's it, end of story. And I'm like, I don't know, man. "Ah, I'm not happy about it. Travis then moves on to talking strategy, thinking that the enemy having to go up the elevator in waves will slow them down. Percy asks if there's any way to disable the elevator. Travis says no, because it's magic and normally you'd need the key card, but the doorman is gone, meaning that the defenses have been depleted and anyone can just go up and use it. Percy wants to keep them away from the doors and bottleneck them in the lobby. Travis says that they'll need reinforcements in that case because they'll eventually get overwhelmed. Connor delivers the bad news that there are no reinforcements. Percy then looks at Mrs. O'Leary and wonders if Connor might be wrong. And I'm thinking, ooh, Hades reinforcements. Could we finally get Hades to join the mix? We saw in a previous chapter, Nico trying to reason with him in a dream to help out. And Percy then approaches Mrs. O'Leary, says he's proud of her, and then asks her for one more favor. And then as narrator Percy, all he says is that he whispered it into her ear and doesn't reveal it. And I'm getting really upset with this stuff. Like, (laughs) narrator Percy, we used to be friends. You used to tell us everything. Now you're playing games and keeping secret. Like, Chiron's gotten to you. It's all for the plot. And my guess here would be that it is some Hades stuff, especially because it's Mrs. O'Leary. She's a hellhound. She can go into the underworld. Nico was trying to get him to help. So that feels like what it is but we can't discuss that, so let's just move on. She shadow travels away. Percy rejoins Annabeth in the lobby, and then Percy sees Grover leaning over a wounded Linnaeus. They're just like really getting in all the deaths. Like they're just really starting to pile up. Grover's fighting back tears. Linnaeus asks if they won, and Grover lies that they did and says that it was thanks to his help, and Linnaeus says, told you, true leader, true, and then passes. So confirmed, he's the good one from the Council of Elders. We like him now, going out on a high note. Mm-hmm. Grover then gives him an ancient blessing, and his body fades away, leaving behind just a sapling and a small pile of soil. And Grover says, a laurel, oh, that lucky old goat. And Grover <laughs> picks it up, 
and says that he should plant him in the gardens of Olympus. And mm -hmm. Percy basically goes, oh, we're headed that way, you know? You wanna, <laughs> wanna hop along? So then they all get in the elevator. And I love that we have found a way to get the original trio going mm -hmm. up to Olympus together, mm -hmm. which is really nice, just the really nice parallel of it all. And narrator Percy even picks up on this saying that he thinks back to the first time that he went up to Olympus and he thought that he really wished that Annabeth and Grover would be here with him. So he's really happy that they are back. And as narrator Percy, he says, I had a feeling it might be our last adventure, which is very funny given that now they're writing another book with the three of them. <laughs> so little did you know about capitalism, Percy. <laughs> I'm sure Uncle Rick had a story to tell. <laughs> but also, getting that bread, baby. <laughs> have, uh, no, is that one, the, no, 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 I don't even know. That'll be <laughs> No need to ask. Annabeth says to Percy, quote, Percy, you were right about Luke. And I wrote, yes, in all caps, with 17 S's. Uh -huh. <laughs> I know you yeah. two are both very pro-Luke, so how do you feel about Annabeth's coming around here where basically she says that because of what Selena said, she realizes the harm that he could do by making someone believe him and all that kind of stuff. I love this moment for her. Okay. I, I am pro Luke as in I love him as a character mm. and I love the journey that he goes on. I, okay. I don't fully support everything that he does. You know, good. But I think that shows <laughs> the, the content of your character. Don't fully support. Don't fully. <laughs> the purple and black banners, great. Everything else. Yeah. Um, but I really love this moment, especially because just getting to see throughout this book, you know, the parallel of Percy, who is like very focused on the present Luke having to confront the past Luke, and then Annabeth, who's so focused on the past Luke having to confront who Luke is now. And just this moment of her finally like acknowledging and seeing who he is kind of for the first time because of what he did to Selena. No, I think that's nice. <laughs> Were you enjoying it as well or? <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's great. I think just like, for me, what struck me as well is that like, I think Luke did a lot of the same things to Annabeth that he did to Selena, leveraging the relationship. Mm. I thought it was really interesting for her as a character that like she only saw it when it was someone else. Yeah. Oh, it was happening okay. To no, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Hmm. Both good points. Yeah. No, I think it, I think it makes sense. I, I really enjoyed this moment, not only from like a hating Luke perspective, but also, <laughs> yeah, I guess I didn't really think of the whole, you know, if someone's doing it to you, it feels different than when you can yeah. see someone happening yeah. to someone else. It's easier to see like, you know, your friend have a problematic significant other or something, but then, you know, you can still be like, but I can fix him. Yeah. Now, when Annabeth says this all to Percy, she ends this by saying, I hope you're happy. And I wrote in my notes, he didn't tell Selena to die. <laughs> and I'm glad Percy responds with, that doesn't make me happy. So I'm glad Percy doesn't try to take some sort of gotcha moral high ground, or not even moral high ground, but like told you so type element. He's not happy about this, which is big of him for someone who hates Luke so much. Annabeth then just kind of rests her head against the wall of the elevator and doesn't look at Percy. And Grover says, well, sure good to be together again. Arguing, almost dying, abject terror. Oh, look, it's our floor. <laughs> and usually I would verbatim quote the Percy describing Olympus portion of the book because it's always very vivid and gorgeous and picturesque. But this time, it's really sad. He says, quote, depressing is not a word that usually describes Mount Olympus, but it looked that way now. No fires lit the braziers, the windows were dark, the streets were deserted, and the doors were barred. The only movement was in the parks, which had been set up as field hospitals, which is just a tough scene, a mm. tough scene to come upon. Percy sees Will Solace and the other Apollo campers running around, healing the other wounded with 
the naiads and the dryads assisting. <laughs> Grover plants the sapling. Annabeth and Percy try to raise the spirits of the wounded by just giving vague platitudes like, you can do it, you'll be great. <laughs> Grover tells the satyr, Linnaeus turned into a shrub. <laughs> great work, G-Man. Percy, true leader, true leader. True leader. Percy comes across Pollux, who has a broken arm, but tries to tell Percy that he can use his good arm. Percy asks him just to stay safe as a personal favor to him because of the Mr. D conversation. I love that Percy loves Mr. D now. It's so good, it's so good. The team then heads towards the palace because Percy is convinced that that is where Cronus is going to go when he arrives. They enter and they see Hestia tending to a very small, dim hearth. Is it hearth or hearth? Hearth. Hearth. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> hearth? Okay. Yeah. Got it. Cool. Hearth. Glad to get that cleared up. <laughs> so she's tending to the hearth and she is in the form of a small girl and she's shivering. And Bessie, who is there, lets out a sad moo when he sees <laughs> Percy. Percy then sees Rachel Elizabeth Dare at Zeus's throne, holding a Greek ceramic vase and looking at the stars. And I wrote, oh no, not the jar. <laughs> Percy asks what she's doing with that. And she says that she found it and checks with him that it is Pandora's jar. Percy asks her to put it down, and she says, I can see hope inside it, so fragile. And then Percy, in italics, so you know who he means business, says, Rachel. <laughs> and then he is able to snap her back to reality, and then she hands over the jar to him. And it feels like ice when he grabs it. Mm. Annabeth tells Grover to join her in a search around the palace for extra Greek fire or for Hephaestus traps. And Grover begins to protest, but then Annabeth elbows him and he goes, right, I love traps. <laughs> and they leave, which I think is great and funny, but also like good on Annabeth for recognizing that like Percy should probably have a one-on-one -on -one moment with Rachel Elizabeth Dare mm. and giving it to them. Like yeah. that is a ton of growth from her, yeah. I feel like. That's yeah. very big of her. Could yeah. not imagine a 15 year old me doing that. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I'm it's... staying there. I'm nosy. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. They left the room. Yeah. They're really standing outside looking yeah. at <laughs> What are you guys talking about? What are you guys talking about? <laughs> so before we get into what all is talking about, that's where we're going to close this portion of the show and this portion of the episode, if you're listening after the fact. I know, it's so good, but we only have so much time before I get kicked out of here. But thank you both so much for joining. We will now, uh, for podcast purposes, let's all say goodbye to the podcast people as they go to the mid-roll break. So <laughs> goodbye, podcast Bye. people. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Cached Olympian Shubio New York City edition once again, and I'm here with some updates and information about the show. First, about this show, you will notice that after the break, the Q&A will be with me, but also with my buddy Chris, who did the second act with me. This was a half Potterless, half TNO show, and Potterless was act two, and Chris did the Potterless portion, so that's why Phoebe and Emily will instead sound like a singular man, and that is Chris. Now, also... In the beginning of this episode, you may have heard when Phoebe and Emily were taking the stage, a loud thud, and then me apologizing. That is because Phoebe hit her head on the speaker that did hang quite low on the stage and was near the stairs. And they warned me before the show 
to watch my head. But then Phoebe and Emily showed up after we had completed soundcheck and the doors were open. So they just went straight to the green room. They didn't go into the stage area at all. So I completely forgot to pass that message along. And now I understand why they passed that message along. Because if you're not looking for it, you might hit your head. Phoebe's okay. But that is clearing up what you heard in the beginning of the episode. Now, announcement time. We've got new merch and it is live. The camp regular person shirts are up. The pro pigeon podcast pins are up. Similar design to the shirts, but now they are in a gorgeous enamel pin form. And we also have a TNO sticker that just says TNO with a trident. So not the logo with all the words, just our nice little abbreviated form TNO. There's also stickers that we've been selling at different tour stops along the way live. So you can get all of that merch right now at the newest Olympian.com slash live. And if you go to bit.ly slash TNO sticker, all lowercase, you can see how to get some of those stickers for cheaper if you buy them directly through me. Now we're into October. We've got two live shows coming up in October back to back. Philly, aka Doylestown on October 21st and New York City on October 22nd. Super excited about those shows. Get your tickets before they sell out. Adam Amawala will be joining for both of the shows. Stephen will be in Philly. Sequoia will be in New York. Adam will be opening both the shows with some stand-up comedy, and then we will get into our dissection of the first Percy Jackson film, and you all understand how that's probably going to go. It's going to be a hoot and a half, and I think these shows are going to be really funny, not just because of the guests, but doing the show in D.C. when we did the Percy Jackson Ultimate Guide, to do a live show episode about something that you poke some fun at throughout just with a live audience is just so fun and so infectious. So if you live in the area and you're looking for a good time, it's going to be so fun. The venues are really cool. I've performed in them before and they have really nice vibes. So tickets to those shows are live at thenewsolympian.com slash live. And I hope to see you there. Now, this show would simply not be possible without all of the support that I get from our lovely, lovely patrons. And so many folks joined recently because of that movie live stream. And we are still making our way through the backlog. So here are another 50 people to thank that joined the Patreon recently. So shout out to our newest Mega God Tier patron, Adrian Lack. And shout out to our newest Super God Tier patron, Emu. Shout out to our newest God Tier patrons, Ellie Whiteman, Some Swiss Guy, Leo Is Not On Fire, Lauren Brinsfield, Chase Battle, Julia Sanger, Veronica Plukova, Otso Casey Stewart, Bailey Jennings, Blue Skittles, and Caitlin Labry. And shout out to our newest Demi God Tier patrons, Isabel Ramos, Lucas Gunn, Morgane Lehuru. Asha Hoyt, Laura Gaines, John Bornison, Haldi, Kelly Hyman, Anna Jennings, Lily, Linka Marissa, Lofizik. It's spelled Kelly, K-E-L-L-E-Y, not Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y. As a very biased person married to someone who spells it K-E-L-L-Y, the correct way. I'm just going to have to disagree here, but I do appreciate your support. Dennis Varkey, Rose from Brussels, Akio Persebeth, Yolanda Rin, Kara Ward, Kelly Meehan, Ahmad Shikomar, Hannah Obvious, Jui Gershowitz, Megan Megger, Clara Rue, Jaws from New Zealand, Riley 13, Leticia Bojard, Anna Cerillo, Macy Bird, Ida Isaacson, Epic Raptor 985, Alexis M, Four Octopus Arms, Ali Kendall, Gabe Ship, Ali Bender, Elida Lilly, Sarah McCoy, Claire, You Look So Cool 1, Patrick Cooper, Christina, Reina Avila, Ramirez Arellano, Mallory Wan, Kaja Eversole, Lini Queenie, Starjumper1012, Paula TH, I don't know, hi, Amy M, Sammy, and Devery Lowenthal. And a name correction for Tana Magenti, who my notes app just decided to completely change their last name into McGinty. The notes app does that sometimes, so if I say a name that is just not yours, it might be that. Please send in a name correction, or if I mispronounce it in any way at all, please send me a DM on Patreon and I will do a pronunciation correction. But thank you all so much for your support. May Zeus bless you 
you that when you reach for a door handle, you don't get that weird shock thing that happens to you sometimes. Now, if you're all caught up in the news Olympian and you're looking for a new podcast to listen to, I make a whole bunch of podcasts. I'm an independent podcast boy, and I think you would like some of the other shows that I make. If you want something that's a bit of a change of pace, but still features me and some other funny folks, you should check out Modern Muckraker. Modern Muckraker is a comedic investigative journalism podcast where I serve as the host. It's a scripted show. I play a character who believes he's completing the world's most important investigative journalism imaginable. However, in reality, he is answering questions such as when should Spider-Man take the subway instead of web swinging? Or is the budget of East High School from High School Musical realistic for a public school in Albuquerque, New Mexico? We put in so much work to answer these questions. We go really in depth. We interview highly overqualified experts and we come to conclusions in all of these episodes. You can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts by searching for Modern Muckraker or going to our website, modernmuck.com. Now, before we wrap up here, you're going to hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me. Others of them won't. The ones that are not read by me are inserted locally. So if you live in Poland, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in Polish. But once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of The New Olympian. This episode of The New Olympian is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Now, you have seen Clarice be kind of grumpy in a lot of these chapters, ultimately leading up to what takes place in this one. And maybe she wouldn't be so grumpy if she was getting her daily vitamins and minerals in the mix. How could she have ensured that she was getting that? She could have used Athletic Greens. I started taking Athletic Greens when I was traveling a lot, and I have enjoyed taking it as I have not been traveling as much. I make smoothies at home with fruits, veggies, and stuff, and I have a jar of Athletic Greens in the fridge, and I just add a scoop of that to my smoothies, and it's really nice to know that, hey, I'm getting a whole bunch of vitamins and minerals and stuff in my smoothie and I'm feeling good for the day. With just one scoop of Athletic Greens, you will absorb 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and more. And it's cost effective. It costs less than $3 per day and that is an investment in your health. Cheaper than getting a cup of coffee every day too, which is pretty nice. And there are loads of people who take some sort of daily multivitamin and it's important that you choose one with high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb and that is the case for Athletic Greens. They do a bunch of third-party testing and they only use the best of the best stuff. So if you want to arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, you can do so with Athletic Greens and to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash newest Olympian. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash newest Olympian to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So if you want to make sure you're getting your vitamins and minerals and maybe you don't want to be grumpy to all of your friends, you could try Athletic Greens today. This episode of the New Olympian is brought to you by Thrive Market. Now, at Camp Half-Blood, they are cooking up a whole bunch of fun stuff at the cafeteria, but we never really hear about where they supply all of the things for the cafeteria. I'm not sure where they get their stuff, but you know where they should get their stuff? Thrive Market. Thrive can be your go-to for all of your grocery and household essentials, and it has been my go-to. I've got a bunch of stuff from Thrive now, and I genuinely enjoy all of it. I've got Thrive trash bags, dishwashing detergent, snacks, rice, beans, things that wash my dishes, like scrub brushes and stuff. They have a lot of really great deals. I've been capitalizing on those deals and I have truly been enjoying using Thrive Market. I love a lot of things about Thrive. I love that they only allow trusted top quality ingredients while restricting harmful ingredients like artificial flavors, high fructose corn syrup, and more. And whether you are looking for organic kid snacks, high protein essentials, whatever it is, you can curate your own shopping experience with a few clicks. They've got all these different filters and stuff like that, different categories. I utilize those 
when I was looking for particular items, and it was really easy to navigate the site. I always have a simple time finding what I'm looking for. And it's not just saving time, I'm saving money as a Thrive Market member. I'm looking at my stats right now, my average savings per order are $34.98. On my last order, I saved almost $50, and I got a whole bunch of things for my pantry. I got hand soap refills, I got chicken broth, I got rice, I got beans, I got kitchen towels, it was great. Save time and money and shop Thrive Market today. Go to thrivemarket.com slash TNO for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash TNO, thrivemarket.com slash TNO, so you can be as well-stocked as the Camp Half-Blood cafeterias are today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. This episode of The News Olympian is brought to you by Straight River Coffee. If you've been listening to The News Olympian and you're thinking, my goodness, I would love to pair this podcast with a nice warm cup of joe, but not just any nice warm cup of joe, but specifically TNO branded coffee. Well, you are in luck because TNO coffee exists. That's right. We have partnered with Straight River Coffee, which is a small independent business that is made up of folks who listen to The News Olympian, and we have teamed up to make TNO coffee. So there is a specific roast from Straight River coffee called Anna Clues Roast. I came up with the name. I think it's very good. And you can get a one pound bag of coffee from them if you go to the newsolympian.com slash merch. I'm not a coffee drinker, but multiple people have told me that the coffee tastes very good and smells incredible. And here's the description of the coffee from Straight River. Sourced from the finest fair trade beans, our collaborative blend boasts flavor notes of nutty caramel and rich chocolate, ensuring each sip transports you to a realm of excitement and wonder. It's cool. The bags were also made by an environmentally friendly bag company and the art design on the bags, which yes, is a pigeon drinking a cup of coffee. Those were made by another independent artist, Ava Hess, who does some incredible artwork as well. So it's a bunch of small businesses and independent creators teaming up to make this coffee happen. And it's really cool. And it also ships free internationally. So it doesn't matter if you live in the US or not the US. The price listed is the price. No extra shipping fees. It's super cool. And you can get a pound of this wonderful coffee delivered to you or multiple, I think. You can probably get more than one bag. I don't know. But go to thenewsolympian.com slash merch. Scroll down, click the link about the coffee, and then boom, you can get some Anaclus roast in your cup today. And then you can perfectly pair TNO coffee with your TNO podcast. We got some time for some Q&A here. There are a lot of fun questions. So many questions about pizza. So I will just say I have had pizza. I was in New Haven once and I went to, it's called Pepe's, right? Frank Pepe's. Frank Pepe's. Okay. I went to that. I No joke. I'm a very like stickler about pizza. Like central New Jersey is a very particular type of pizza. It is very similar to New Haven pizza. I would say it's like the closest I've ever had to New Jersey pizza that I grew up eating. De Lorenzo's is uh, New Haven. De Lorenzo's gets free ads. Uh, New Haven. <laughs> oh, you can get free ads. All right. It's your podcast. All right. <laughs> Frank Pepe's. So I really enjoyed it. The only difference is like, I feel like they cook it like a little bit more in the oven. So like the crust gets like a little bit of that, like mm-hmm. more of the black dust, which I know some people love, but like I thought it was just like a little too much. That being yeah. said, I happen to be there. I don't know what month it is when they do like the seasonal, yeah. like tomatoes are in special season. So you get fancy tomatoes. I had that one, which was very good. I enjoyed that a lot. The white clam pizza is is very, very good. I'm from Boston, so they have uh, two. 
Shout out. All right. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so there's there's two Frank Pepe's in the general area, yeah. so I've had it very good. I very much Yeah, we had it. it. It was good. So yeah. pizza questions aside, I've had it. It's good. It is my like second place to New Jersey pizza, which is just ingrained it in my heart. Now, this question is from Jamie. The subject line was, Nico visits Connecticut. Hi, Mike. Thanks for coming to New England. If they came out with a Percy Jackson version of Hades, where the side characters give Percy boons, what do you think would their boons would be? Now, I know you're not a Percy Jackson guy. Have you played Hades, the video game, at all? No? All right, then I'll handle this one. Um, I feel like, just to rattle off a, a few of them, I feel like Grover could have some sort of like nature-based boon where he kind of gives you the power of Pan. I think that could be really fun. I could see Annabeth giving you like the trinket, like kind of like how you have the invisibility thing from Hades in Hades. You could have the invisibility hat from Annabeth. You could poof around. That'd be fun. I could see Tyson being one of the like summons when you like, you basically call on someone to help you out. I'd like him just like coming in and giving a big punch since that's his go-to move. Uh, I could see Briaris being similar like that, him and his hundred hands coming in. This is one of those questions I can answer for hours, but I feel like there's so many possibilities from side characters alone, not just, you know, the gods, obviously, who are already in Hades. Okay, this one is from Maggie, subject line. This is a pro-Massachusetts email. Hi, Shoops. Let's go, let's go. Thanks for making the drive. Hi, Shoops. In your opinion, who would win in a fight? Percy and Annabeth or the Penguins of Madagascar? Have you seen the Madagascar film? Of course, they're right. ferocious bunch. So do you think the son of Poseidon and the daughter of Athena would win in a fight or those crafty, crafty penguins from Madagascar? I'm just trying to wrap my head around the visual of these penguins assaulting like Poseidon of, of the ocean. <laughs> well, it's just his kid, so you know. Oh, but uh, I don't know, I mean, they are crafty. I'm not as familiar with the Madagascar lore, but I know there are four of them, so they've got the numbers and they've got the sneak factor with the whole like, you didn't see it anything guy i feel like i would give the slight edge to percy just because like if they are fighting the penguins of madagascar they do have water around them and percy being the son of poseidon having the water powers i feel like would go a long way but if this fight somehow found its way off water i think the madagascar penguins if they set up a bunch of elaborate traps they could get them in a pickle. I, I think it depends. You know, who's got the home field advantage here? That's that's really what, yeah. what it comes down to. I think that's what it comes down to. So this question is from Hannah and Michaela. It says, hi, Mike. One question. Did you know pigeons in Massachusetts legally have rights? And then here is a screenshot of Section 132 General Laws. Section 132, pigeons, semicolon, killing or frightening. <laughs> Whoever willfully kills pigeons upon or frightens them from beds, which have been made for the purpose of taking them in nets by any method within 100 rods of the same, ex oh, this, I thought this legalese is hard to read. <laughs> Whoever willfully kills pigeons upon or frightens them from beds, which have been made for the purpose of taking them in nets by any method within 100 rods of the same, except on land lawfully occupied by himself, shall be punished by imprisonment for not more than one month Oh, maximum one month? Come on. <laughs> Minimum a month. Or by a fine of not more than $20 and shall also be liable for the actual damages to the owner or occupant of such beds. How do you assess the damages of a pigeon home? Well, I guess... Like, like when you go to Liberty Mutual, like, what's the... <laughs> this weirdly feels more what's like... What's the assessment? A, this feels more like the property has more rights than the pigeons. Up to a month and up to $20? Ugh, I like that they have rights, but they don't have enough rights. Come on. Oh, man. There was something where 
I think Michael Bay was getting sued by like either a city in or the country of Italy because he killed pigeons while on set making some movie and you can't do that. So like a bunch of people on Instagram were like, check it out. And I was like, yeah. A lot a lot of pigeons had to die for Optimus Prime. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, you just gotta make it. Everything has to explode on Michael Bay. Okay, this one is from Cecilia and the crew. Glad the crew made it out too. Shout out the crew. Shout out the crew. Hi Mike, loving the show so far. There aren't many things that are too unique about Connecticut, but like the rest of New England, we do have a sometimes obsessive love for Dunkin' Donuts. In honor of that, what fast food or retail job do you think that each of the trio, Percy, Annabeth, and Grover, would either excel or comically not excel at? Fantastic. <laughs> I feel like Grover would be fantastic at many different retail jobs. He's got that nature power. I feel like he could do really well as being like the plant guy in Lowe's, something like that. You know, they got the plant section, you go in and you're like, what do I do for my hydrangeas? And he'd be like, I got you, this soil. Like, I feel like he'd be fantastic. I don't see Percy being very good at any retail facing job. I feel like he would just get too angry by people just, you know, being difficult in any way. Like I feel like in a restaurant type setting, I don't think he would do well because he really likes snappy comebacks and you just like can't give snappy comebacks to people at a restaurant. And then Annabeth, I feel it like could be a mixed bag. I could see her, maybe if she worked a retail job because she really likes planning and everything and architecture as well. I could see her like working at like a clothing store and like making a really nice like stack or in the grocery store sometimes you'll see people like stack up soda cans and then it like spells something where it's like, oh, the purple from the grape soda like spells a word or whatever. Like I could see her getting really into that, but then really mad if someone ruined it. Like they topple yeah. it over. Well, like the, I always feel so weird when I walk up to those displays. Like I want to purchase this, but... I don't want to mess up the art. Yeah, yeah the so orange like the, soda makes a perfect yeah. jack-o'-lantern. Yeah, I don't want to mess I, up I can't the take that, yeah. <laughs> that, would, that would be my thought. Fantastic, fantastic question. Okay, this one is from uh, Julia Kendall, longtime supporter of the show. Uh, first, not from Connecticut, which I'm good with, grew up in Texas, but currently in Massachusetts. My question, if you could have a story from a different character's point of view, who would it be and what story? And in the green room, we were talking about this. I do feel like, and I'm not normally a proponent of this, but now that we're learning more about the complexities of it, I do think it would be interesting to more know about like Luke's side of the story, just cause like they're so, like we know the big things, but not the in-betweens. And I think that would be compelling and it wouldn't feel like a cop out cause like the big things are there. So like, let's fill in the blanks. So I think that could be pretty interesting. Okay, this one is from Brock. And I think this is great, just a very simple question. We came down from Maine to watch the show. And the question is, could Percy have just hit every button on the elevator to slow Kronos' army down? Right there. You? you? Oh, you? Brock, phenomenal strategy. A plus, genius. I don't know how long they're gonna get there, but like it feels like, at the very least, Annabeth could be standing next to it with her invisibility hat, and any time they come up and they go out, like before they send it down, just and just touch them all and pray it's not one of those fancy elevators where if you like double tap it, it undoes it. So that's great strategy. Great, great stuff. I think it's brilliant. Uh, this one is from Serena, but also signs off saying, my mom, my sister, and I love your shows. Hi, Mike. What do you think the Patronuses for the Percy Jackson characters would be? So we got some Percy Jackson characters going Patronus in the mix. I could see Percy's being a horse because his father Poseidon invented horses, which is always my favorite thing. Annabeth, an owl feels very logical because of Athena stuff. 
Grover, I'm not sure. I could see maybe one of the mythical creatures that we see when, you know, he visits Pan. So like Woolly Mammoth or the Tasmanian Tiger or something like that. Um, Goat feels too easy and it's also like him. So it feels like too narcissistic. (laughs) And then Tyson, Tyson, I could see just like something really cute, like just something really adorable. He would just have like, I don't know, like didn't he call something like bunnies or ponies? Like he always like calls things like the simple version. So I could just see like a cute little rabbit or something. Okay, the final question is one that I, when I saw through in the inbox, I was really, really, really happy about this one. This one is from Allie and Jackson. The subject line is Hartford has it. Is that like the slogan of Hartford or something? Yes. Okay, cool. Well, Hartford has it. It is now. All right, yeah, we've minted it. Allie says, I know this is a Percy Jackson episode, but I'd be amiss if I didn't shoe in a horse question since we are in the basketball capital of the world, Yukon country. Accurate. National champs. National champs. So, and you can probably answer this one as well. What cabins, which is basically just who is your Greek god parent, what cabins would you sort various Yukon alumni into? Diana Taurasi, Sue Bird, and then in parentheses, the GOAT, Brianna Stewart, and Tina Charles. So, it's going to be a tricky one. Uh, I'm trying to, hmm. Diana Taurasi feels like it has to be Hermes just because trickster type God and she's always talking smack. Like she is known for her legendary trash talk. Hermes cabin feels like the trash talky type people. And then Brianna Stewart is like just very talented and I'm mad that she's not on my favorite team anymore, but she's very good and she's pretty like reserved and, and soft-spoken for the most part. So I could see her being in like a more thinky cabin. So maybe Athena, like wisdom, like she's a very smart game and like knows different ways to break down the defenses. So I could see that. Tina Charles is just like an absolute like tour de force of basketball. Like in Tina Charles' prime, it was just like good luck defending Tina Charles. To me, that feels like Ares cabin, just, you know, fighting, war, like what are you gonna do? Yep, God of War, right? So, right. Yep, that's gonna that get checks out. Overpowered, and then Sue Bird. It's tough because she is the goat. I want to sort her into all of the cabins because she's the best. Uh, I mean, she was on the Seattle Storm for her entire career, so Storm that gives me like Poseidon vibes, you know, water and all of that. But the Storm's also lightning, so she could be in Zeus vibes. But she's not a jerk. She's. <laughs> She is like her, like real strong part of her game was assists. So like setting other people up. So I don't know if there's like a Greek God that's more of like assisty type, like a, like the helping along the way, like Hephaestus maybe, I'm not sure. Uh, Hercules. Hercules, yeah, he doesn't have a cabin and I don't, yeah, I know. No, I'm sorry, I don't look, know. I know you've not read the book, so, but no, I like, he, that you is. He had the 12 labors, he was serving others. That's all I got. Yeah, no, that's. Yeah, who was who was Her- was Hercules the son of Zeus, right? Yeah, okay, so maybe that could be great Disney movie. It's a good one. It's a good one. <laughs> My Comes favorite. Yeah, going I, the distance. I think this would this might be one that I will have to think a lot about, but I think that's what makes it a good question. Is that Sue Bird is a lot of different angles. I think if I had to pick, I would lean towards Zeus, but like maybe she's the person that like redeems Zeus cabin. I mean, like Thali is not a jerk, and she's a child of Zeus, so like yeah, let's put Sue Bird in the Zeus cabin, and that is the sorting of the Yukon legends here in the Connecticut show, and that is the finale of the Connecticut show. Give yourselves a round of applause for making it out to the show. Thank you all so much. Give it up for Chris for being an incredible guest for Act Two. And give it up for everyone here at Webster for setting up the show. So many people are helpful with this from like tech to sound to the people taking pictures and videos. Like everyone here, give it up to the whole Webster team. Everyone was really great. It was delightful to be here. 
and give it up to my buddy Umberto for running the merch table and coming in to hang out as well. Thanks to Umberto as well. Really, really appreciate it. Appreciate you all coming. Can't stick around long because we need to ship ourselves up to Boston <laughs> to, to go home after, but thank you so much. Really appreciate it. We gotta get out of here. But thank you all so much for coming out to the show. I hope to return first time here in, uh, in Hartford, but it was an absolute delight. Thank you all so much for making it very special. And until I come back and cross paths again, until then. Oh, see you later. Thank you so much for coming out, everybody. there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The New Stolympian. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. I also run the social media and the website. Our editor is Sherry Guo. The music is by Bettina Campamanes and Brandon Google, and the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. If you want to be a part of the show's community, you can find us on social media. We're at New Stolympian on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. There's also a subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash The New Stolympian. And then there's also the Discord that you get access to by joining any tier of the Patreon over at thenewstolympian.com slash Patreon. If you want to get some TNO merch, you can go to thenewstolympian.com slash merch. And if you want to support the show, and as a thank you get access to a whole bunch of bonus content, you can do that at thenewsolympia.com slash Patreon. Speaking of that Patreon, let's give a shout out to our producer level patrons, Kelsey Gillespie, The Damn Steam Nuggets, Vicky Garcia, Ellie Hauskovchova, Veronica Bartova, Haley Hastings, Robin Garcia, Frida Vickstrom, Megan Moon, Craig McRoberts, Taylor Payne, Giselle Salvador, Peter Johnson, The Twins, Sabrina Balsiger, Bony Pony, Casey Williams, Polly Burge, Nikki Harris, Tatiana Schmidt, Sandra Rose, Josh Sayre, Josh Wilkie, Abby Ryan, Wise Girl, Ashton Gabrielson, Marco Redhouse, Caden Max, Sam Sam Reby, Riley Kittas, Mary Kelly, Audra, Mrs. O'Leary, Rodith Kalna, Milo Kim, Harlan Christ, Cece Reed, 23, Sandkoff, Julia Kendall, Emil Oscar Thomason, Liz Cardigan, Sarah Neal, Ricky, John Drillsma, Rayla Matthews, Riley Draken, Luna Cadoon, Sky Mallory, Elizabeth Obermiller, Aiden Parziani, Biggest Tyson fan, Hunter Landstrom, Captain Jack Rackham, Sky Captain and the Princess, King Bastion, One Damn Distraction coming up, Ethan Robinson, Ginger Spurs Boy, Joshua Aid, A Cup of Solace, Meg Roy, Lux, Neil, Will Buchanan, and Olivia Krenicki. If you want to support the show in a non-monetary way, simply talking about the show is so helpful. Word of mouth is huge. So you can tell someone that you know who loves Percy Jackson about the podcast, or you can talk to someone who's looking for an excuse to finally get into the Percy Jackson books about it, or someone who's maybe getting hyped for the TV show that's coming up and they want to understand what's going on. Or you could post about the show on social media, or you could leave us a rating and review on whatever podcasting app you're using. All these things really do help. I'm very appreciative to everyone who has already done so and to anyone who will do so in the future. But I'm just so thankful that you tuned into this episode, and I hope you tuned into our next episode where we will finish up chapter 17 and complete all of chapter 18 with Willa, aka Willary Wisp from TikTok. But until then, I'll see you later. Hey everyone, how's it going? It's me, Ace Marmik. So when I was in South Korea, I took public transit quite a bit and there are certain public transit jingles that South Korea plays that are just so fantastic. So I have pulled up a YouTube video here where I'm just going to play three of my favorites and I hope you enjoy the sounds of the Seoul subway system because it's just truly fantastic. Here we go. Uh, here's the next one. And here is the final one. Thank you for listening.